Hello, everyone. This is Rami, and we're here with another episode of the Bonfires of Social Enterprise. We have a very special artist, Grace Elizabeth Lee, at the end of this episode in an incredibly inspiring interview with Chris Lambert of Life Remodeled in Detroit. This guy and his team are pulling off miraculous transformation in the neighborhoods. Before we tune into that interview, let's find out what Jensen has prepared for our fun fuel today. Hey everyone, this is Jensen and I'm here to bring some fun fuel to this episode on Life Remodeled. As you will learn, Life Remodeled is about neighborhoods, so I decided to do a little research on the word neighborhood. According to an online dictionary, the word neighbor was used regularly in the mid-1500s to mean friendly conduct. Then, by adding the word hood onto neighbor, the term came to mean community of people who live close together, which was first recorded in the 1620s. In another part of the world, the term vicinity also came to have the same meaning as neighborhood, also in use from the mid-1500s. Fast forward to 1887, when the word tenderloin became a slang term used in New York to refer to the police-sided areas noted for vice. This was the notion that the neighborhood of the main theaters, restaurants, etc. were the juiciest cut of the whole, the tenderloin. Further note, when the term tenderloin was used in reference to a neighborhood, it was usually because someone was planning some type of blackmail or takeover. Now, it is unclear if that term is still used today, but it did refer to the best of the best types of neighborhoods. This is Jensen, and this was your Fun Fuel for this week's episode. Enjoy the show. Thanks, Jensen. It's funny how we can adapt words over time. I'm glad the word tenderloin is mostly used for steaks these days. <laughs> okay, moving on to my interview with Chris Lambert. I've been reflecting on my interview with him, and while there were a lot of pieces that inspired me, I could not help but notice the combination of a boldness with a humbleness at the same time. Bold and humble. It was a really interesting combination. I felt the wisdom and peace of like this seasoned leader and the courage of a warrior willing to stand in protection of others. As you listen to my interview with Chris, I'm certain you'll be inspired by his work in the neighborhoods, one block at a time. All right, so Chris, what is Life Remodeled? Life Remodeled is a Detroit-based nonprofit, and our mission is we remodel lives one neighborhood at a time. And the way we do that is every year we choose a different neighborhood in Detroit and we invest about $5 million in cash, labor, and materials. And that's all based off of what are the community's needs and what is the community's vision. And so we come alongside the community to achieve their vision. And there's three main physical things that we do. Number one, we remodel a community asset, usually a high school. The second thing we, re we do is we repair owner-occupied homes. And thirdly, we clean up 300 city blocks in six days with 10,000 people. How did you land on those three? <laughs> yeah, that all comes back to, again, the community's vision, right? And so every community has an asset that needs improvement. And that asset, uh, when it's improved, makes a huge impact on the life of the community. 
And in every community we work in in Detroit, there's a lot of homeowners who have needs, right, that they, they haven't yet been able to meet uh, for renovations. And then blight is one of the most significant problems in Detroit because blight is a magnet for criminal activity. So, for instance, there are over 60,000 abandoned houses in the city of Detroit. And those abandoned houses are more than just eyesores, but those are actually magnets for prostitution, human trafficking, and drug use. Uh, and there are real stories of children who have actually been uh, taken on their way to school and uh, bad things have happened in these homes. And then, of course, the tall weeds and the illegal dumping create line of sight issues. So you don't know what's around the corner. You feel unsafe and you literally can be unsafe. And so we tackle issues that are common and agreed upon by the community. And uh, but of course, it's unique to each community's specific needs. How did this start? Because I know sometimes big things are inspired by one or two small things, right? Well, let me start with my personal mission in life. So I want to be like this Jewish construction worker who lived about 2,000 years ago. And uh, he was brutally murdered and then came back to life. And in my opinion, he's alive and well and doing great things. So um, at the time of starting Life Remodeled, I actually was the pastor of a church that my wife and I had started. And um, I watched this television show that I used to cry every time I watched called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And even though I cried when I watched it and I loved the show, I came to learn that anywhere between 17 and 25% of families were losing their homes through that show within the first two to five years. Mm -hmm. And so the original concept for Life Remodeled was really in reaction to that show. And we said, let's create something more holistic. And the original strategy was build a house in six days and give it away to a low-income family for free, but also take them through financial training, set them up with a financial advisor, set them up with a uh, clinical psychologist who can help them process family dynamics, offer spiritual guidance, which they could accept or reject. And then the big differentiator was we wanted to invest in the surrounding neighborhood instead of just one home. All of that started with an idea in April of 2010. One year later, we completed a project with everything that I just mentioned, and then it just blew up from there. How did you mobilize that into action in one year? Well, um, there's a few different ways to look at that, but let me start with the role that the church has played. And before I say that, I want to make sure I articulate Life Remodeled is not a religious organization. We've actually established ourselves in a way that we are for everybody, right? Religious, non-religious, pro-life, pro-choice, Democrat, Republican, because we really want to bring everybody together. Everybody has something to offer and everybody can contribute to the future of Detroit and our region. And uh, that being said, we partner with businesses, churches, all kinds of organizations, and really the churches have been the hub for the overwhelming majority of our partnerships and our relationships. Because what's happened is I've been able to speak at a number of churches, and I've talked about Life Remodeled uh, in the context of, of also preaching from the Bible. And light bulbs have come on for people because for all these years they've been sitting in church service, they've never been able to invite their company to participate in something with the church because of political reasons, but they realized, wow, I can get my company involved in this thing. 
And so they would leave the service. They would talk to someone in their company, whether you know they were a mid-level manager or an executive. And then all of a sudden we'd get a phone call and another company would join on board. But it's very much been word of mouth relationships, um, giving people a great experience. And, and one of the ways we say that as a core value is it's all about people over projects. So our projects are exceptionally important, but people are priceless. And so people love the mission, but they love to be loved even more. And that really spreads very quickly. So you view part of your, uh, I'd say, beneficiary is not just the people involved in the project, but the volunteers, right, and partners? Yeah, so our mission is remodeling lives one neighborhood at a time, not remodeling Detroit. Detroit is where our focus is in terms of projects, and there's no question about it. The children, the students, the residents of Detroit mean everything to us, to me personally. But the donor in Northville or the business in Rochester Hills needs life transformation just as much as any student in Detroit or any parent. I've found that to be true so much since we interface so much with uh, investors, other supporters, and the social enterprises. I find the ones that I spend a lot of the conversation with are the funders or the those coming to serve. Those tend to have the most transformation <laughs> in the process of helping another. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing, and that really changes philanthropy from being a one-way transaction yeah. to really an experience where all of us have something to learn and areas to grow in. And certainly you're very familiar with the divide between city and suburb that is still very real to this day. And so much of what we do is about breaking down those invisible walls. And the only way you can really do that is just get people to know each other. And the work is the common value that people believe in. And then when they work together, city and suburb, all of a sudden relationships are born. I feel like they're looking at a project instead of each other sometimes. <laughs> they are, but the project then brings them to start to look at one another. So, you know, it's it's a great start to a beautiful relationship. So going back, did you have construction experience or experience in any of these of the three that you talk about? Let's put it this way, Rami, you do not want me working on your house. <laughs> I, I uh, worked construction for one summer in my college years. And, uh, you know, my gift is I'm a connector. I can cast vision and uh, I know to stay in my lane. And so I love inviting contractors who know how to do what they do and, and they do it with, with joy. <laughs> yeah, they like serving in their specialty. Yes. But one thing I've noticed about you, and we haven't talked about this, is the people who go to serve with you feel protected because they feel like you're going to take time to get to know what their needs are and how they serve best. Yeah, so we say that we strive to be both organized and organic. And the organized part is that our role is to make it so the projects are plug and play for whatever a business's talents are, that they're able to do what they do without having to add multiple layers to get to that. So um, that way they're able to really thrive at what they do best and then they stay engaged. Uh, and then the organic side is the relationship that develops in the process. Yeah, so, and now let's let's talk about, we talked about what happened in that first year, but 
What's been some of the accomplishments so far? And I'm going to direct people to your website, but what's been some of the accomplishments that have surprised you that you've been able to pull off with all these people? Yeah. First, I'll talk about numbers because numbers just seems to blow people away. And it blows me away when I think about it. But over the last three years, we've completed uh, three $5 million projects each year. And each of them had over 10,000 volunteers in a week that we cleaned up 300 city blocks in each of these three Detroit neighborhoods. Uh, we've renovated schools, built park, built football fields, and repaired dozens and dozens and dozens of homes. Um, and that has made a big impact on safety. So in one neighborhood in particular, we measured crime a year following the project, and it dropped in 10 out of 11 categories, mm. including a 47% reduction in homicides. School enrollment has gone up. Academics have seen improvement. Athletics have improved. And those are great, great numbers, but uh, nothing is more impressive to me than the life transformation that we've seen take place. And so just one brief story, uh, which you can actually see if you go to our website, there's a whole movie made about Osborne and the, the, the main character in the film, her name is Pandora. And this is a documentary, so it's all you know, live. Um, we didn't know how it was gonna turn out, but um, I'll kind of give the movie away. I mean, Pandora, the first time we meet her, um, she couldn't be any more against life remodeled than her very first interaction with us. She's a resident of Osborne, which is the neighborhood we worked in in 2015. She had lost her son who was murdered just two years prior to us meeting her. And she was bitter, angry, uh, depressed. And uh, she looked at life remodeled as just some group who's gonna come in and do a bunch of talk and not really do anything. Fast forward over a series of months, her life is transformed radically to where she becomes the number one advocate in the community. Mm. She starts inviting her friends, her family, her neighbors, and people come because when they see Pandora, they see a totally different Pandora than who they've known for the last two years, and they wanna find out what in the world has happened to her, right? And what happened to her is relationships because she got to know people who genuinely loved her just the way that she was and were patient with her and walked her through a series of processes that was all about just loving her and helping her get to a better place in life. And she's been able to acquire a job. Um, she's been able to raise her daughter now at, at a much higher level. And she's an inspiration to everyone who comes to know her. So that's really what it's all about. Oh my gosh. I can tell there's probably lots of stories that have a similar thread, haven't there? Yeah, there, there's endless stories. And it's interesting that I, I, the more time goes by, I learn their stories that I didn't even know about. Uh, because, you know, when 10,000 people are in one place and they're getting to know each other, there's just endless possibilities. And uh, that's the joy is hearing those stories and meeting the people whose lives are impacted. Yeah, there's a ripple effect when you change someone's life. It's hard to, uh, you know, almost quantify all the subtle things that happen. Everybody's trying to measure social impact, I know, today. I know that's a pain point for people, but sometimes you just can't measure the transformation of a human heart and and what when you're helping people have hope mm. hope to me is one of those things that's a game changer mm -hmm. putting people's eyes on hope and see and that love it overcomes it all right mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So what's next in line now? I mean, there's so many things I want to ask you right now, but let me stay focused. What's what's next in line for you? What's coming in this new year for you? Yep. Next year is Central High School and the neighborhoods surrounding Central. So Central is the very first high school in Detroit. Um, Central High School is also the location where just south of Central, the 1967 civil unrest began in that neighborhood. Next year is the 50th year anniversary of that historic moment, which is an amazing opportunity to celebrate real progress. Um, Also, Central is where the Nation of Islam started. It's also where the Black Panthers have significant roots. The high school has the largest number of Jewish alumni of any school in Detroit. So you have all of this rich history. And then you've got the fact that Central is located close to Midtown. So as that development moves past downtown and Midtown, it's in a really great position for future sustainability. And the vision there, this came from the leadership at the school and Detroit Public Schools, is to build a startup business incubator. So think of a tech town in a neighborhood, right? Which doesn't yet exist, um, not until next summer anyway. And this startup, of course, will be a place where entrepreneurs of every sector, whether it's food or technology or healthcare or, or you name it, Uh, will have a place where they can grow and develop and collaborate. They can get their free legal, their free accounting. But the unique factor will be that they'll be located in an environment with high school students where they'll have the opportunity to teach in the classroom or to apprentice students. And even we're talking with Detroit Public Schools about integrating their curriculum, the students' curriculum, with real-world ventures. So instead of just learning math, They'll learn finance from a specific example of one of the entrepreneurs and what they're going through. Wow. So this is, and you've been working on this for a little bit, right, with these thought leaders. How did you land on entrepreneurship as part of this ecosystem? Yeah, because it's the same thing we do in every community. We seek to discover what is the vision of the leaders who are within the community. And this specific vision came from the principal of Central High School and uh, immediately I thought it was a phenomenal idea Um, and the more that we spoke with Detroit Public Schools community district and other leaders and community leaders um, just the the momentum really has grown but for me there was a big unknown would entrepreneurs want to uh, take office space in a neighborhood when they can go to Tech Town or Pony Ride or a number of other great you know locations And as I have communicated this recently to several entrepreneurs, their ears are perking up, their eyes are getting wider, and they see the potential because it's it's a unique story, right? We all know about the great development downtown and midtown, but we all know how much the neighborhoods need this development. Um, And the opportunity to work with students is developing the, the future. The workforce of our country so it's 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 pretty amazing and uh, I'm excited to see it grow and maybe for some of our listeners who don't know Chris would you talk about the gaps in the neighborhoods so when we say midtown and downtown to some of our listeners outside of our area those are sort of the main areas that have been, gone under redevelopment but when we say neighborhoods in Detroit usually we're talking about places right Chris that don't have access to transportation they're sort of um, 
almost set aside. There's almost isolation there. Could you speak to that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, let me put it like this. Detroit is a city that's about 140 square miles. And in the 1980s, we had a population of 1.8 million people. Right now, we're down to about 600,000. So you can just envision what that depopulation has done to vacant land, properties that are sitting abandoned, and the neighborhoods are where the majority of people actually live. And so not only do you see abandoned houses, but you see abandoned businesses, and you see, unfortunately, abandoned schools. We've closed down over 50% of our schools in the last few years. And so goes a school, so goes a neighborhood, and so goes the business community, and it's this cycle that if you drive through many of the neighborhoods, you would think that a natural disaster has happened uh, 10 days ago. But this, la- this took place over you know, several years, and it's equal to a natural disaster on scale, uh, but it's also solvable. All right, well said, well said. It does look like that, but it's happened over time, and it uh, didn't happen all at one fell swoop, so somehow... We accept it. We drive through, and there's, and it can feel overwhelming because there's so much need there. Yeah. You're taking one at a time. So 300, what is it? 300 blocks, mm-hmm. square blocks. Mm-hmm. What does that roughly equate out to in terms of miles or acres? Uh, that's a little that? over three and a half miles. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a, I mean, that's taking a, taking a block at a time. Block of the bigger city. I mean, it's more of a ripple effect than than mileage, for sure. Because right. a lot of people that then move into that neighborhood yes. and repopulate it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're, people are helping to change family trees and generations. And uh, the youth of our city have a voice. And so we want to help give that voice to the youth and see their desires and their dreams through to completion. And that's a lot of what we do is find out what do the youth want, and then we come alongside them and help them do that. I love this idea of adding the entrepreneurial end to it because all the places we've traveled around the world as Gingrass Global, that's just a key element. Jobs add hope, incubation of ideas, give people hope because it lets them know that, gosh, nobody's really got it all figured out, but it's a place to get in and try it and sort of fail safely, if you will, fail forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. I just met an entrepreneur from Cody High School, which is one of the high schools that we recently served. And he pulls out this set of gloves for me and he says, put this on your hand. And I put the one on my right hand and come to find out it has Bluetooth technology. And you hold your uh, fingers up to your ears, like your thumb up to your ear and then your pinky up to your mouth. And you can talk into your pinky and you can hear out of your thumb. And this kid, you know, he's a 17 year old kid and it really does work. Uh, It's a phenomenal invention, but whether this thing takes off or not, he's an entrepreneur with a future. And so it's guys like him that we want to give opportunity to. Yeah, I'm astounded at the amount of youth that is coming up with ideas, even as young as eight and nine years old that I've run into working in Detroit. I'm just blown away by their passion and their uh, creativity and just what they can pull off. So this is super exciting. I think this is going to expand all over the place. What would be like the really big if you just let yourself dream big and didn't think about money or resources, what could it look like? Well, we're ready to start looking at other large urban U.S. cities around the country. And so we've started getting the word out that uh, that our radar is out there 
and we will just continue to invest in city after city, uh, whether it's Chicago next or Houston or Pittsburgh, you name it, we're open and uh, we just want to keep moving forward and inspiring men and women and teenagers across the country. Chris, what would you give as an advice uh, to somebody who's trying to do something in their community um, where they're looking to engage businesses and corporations in support? They've got a nonprofit and they want to do something. What advice could you give somebody who's newly approaching this? Yeah, I I think that uh, the first thing that comes to mind is just go out there and start doing it right yourself and uh, and live it and experience it through the trial and error and invite other people into that journey to experience it with you. Uh, everything's about relationships, right? And uh, if you have a project, then of course it's very important that when you invite someone into that experience that it's a grand slam, right? Because it's like eating at a restaurant. If you eat at a great restaurant, you're gonna tell one person. If you eat at a bad one, you're gonna tell seven. <laughs> And so putting that time and energy and effort into making sure that the project is well organized um, and then continuing to cast vision and invite and not worry about who shows up or or if the money's gonna come uh, because I found that the more I focus on resources, the less I focus on people, but the more I focus on people, the more the resources come. That's a powerful word. I think a lot of times they get it backwards. I hear a lot of people say, gosh, I can't move forward or I can't try that because I don't have the money or I don't have this. And sometimes I really feel strongly it comes down to faith in yourself that it's okay to fail and try to figure a little bit of it out. But communication, boy, that puts salve on a lot of things sometimes. You know, we're going to fall down and skin our knees, but sometimes just communicating, hey, I fell down, hold on a minute. You know, it's communication, right, sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's all about transparency mm-hmm. and being authentic and uh, inviting people into an adventure. Yeah. People want to give. They want to see change. They want to be a part of that change. And, and they're willing to go through the trials and errors and all that comes along with it. And I think there's a, there's a, a, a myth out there that people assume you're going to do it perfectly. People know. People know it takes some trial and error. They know mistakes are going to happen, but they want to walk alongside someone who is going to be transparent. I think people are willing to get behind that all day long, right? Yes, yes, I agree. And uh, also flexible, right? Mm-hmm. Because if, if they see that, uh, you know, you're worried about everything going perfectly, then that just sometimes sends a vibe that's True. <laughs> opposite of what you really want to send. So live in the moment. Relax, do your best to plan, but be open to, to what actually unfolds. <laughs> Good word. Well, how do they find you on the web, social media? Sure. Our website is liferemodeled.com, L-I-F-E-R-E-M-O-D-E-L-E-D.com. And our Facebook and Twitter handles are both Life Remodeled. Excellent. Anything else you want to share with the listeners? I would just say thank you, Rami, for this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the great work you're doing around the world in 90 countries. (laughs) And uh, looking forward to listening in and being a part of the conversation. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thanks again to Chris Lambert and all the hardworking volunteers and partners of Life Remodeled. We look forward to helping you with your entrepreneurial launch activities and incubation in 2017. Man, incredible work. As usual, we play a song from a Detroit artist at the close of each episode. I have the incredible honor and pleasure to introduce you to Grace Elizabeth Lee and her song, Darlene. Talk to you next time.